ready to worship the Lord. Those joining online, we welcome you to church this evening. Pray that you are uh, had a good day in the Lord today. Let's sing an old hymn in the church that simply just says, just over in the glory land.
Let's remain standing for prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today, and we ask that you would be with us in our services tonight. And Lord, as we sing your songs today, Lord, we ask that you would be in our midst. Lord, we thank you for the presence of God we felt in this service this morning. And Lord, today we're asking you today to be with us even in this evening as we worship you tonight. Lord, we pray that everything that is said and done will bring glory and honor to you. Lord, for those that are not here, for whatever reason, Lord, we ask that you would uh, be with them. For those that are in-house today, Lord, let something that is said in this service tonight be words of encouragement to them. We will forever give you the praise and glory and honor that is due your name. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray and ask these things. Amen and amen. amen. Let's remain standing this evening for worship. This is an old song. Uh, some of you may recognize this song. The song simply just says, I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. And that's the way a church should be. We should love coming to worship the Lord together. So let's worship the Lord today.
Emmanuel to you tonight. Is he God with you, God with us? Amen. You may be seated just briefly in the presence of the Lord this evening. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to go with me to the book of Daniel, chapter number 6. Daniel, chapter number 6. be a very very familiar passage of scripture to many of you those joining online thank you so much I know some are out sick continue to pray for the Emrines and brother Chambers and others who normally would be here but sickness has prevented them the ability brother and sister Frierson others that are battling today majorly sickness in their body let me say while you're turning just to remind this weekend is a busy weekend around our property kids Christmas party from 11 to 1 on Saturday and the church Christmas party at 5 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. There's going to be fish fry, oysters. If you don't like fish, bring something else. But there's going to be fish fry, oysters, coleslaw, hush puppies, um, fellowship. Just it's open to anybody, everybody. Invite your mama, invite your grandmama, invite your next door neighbor. Invite your neighbors you don't like. Just tell them to sit on the other side of the church. Just invite them anyway. It's a good time to invite them. Uh, Maybe they'll get saved. Um, you know, invite people. You can do like Brother Randy and Sister Carol. Uh, we thank the Lord for their safety today, leaving church today. They were sitting in the intersection of First Baptist and at Highway 6 in Piggly Wiggly. Someone else decided they wanted to go faster than them and just hit it right in the back. Just bam, right in the back of their truck. Uh, when it was all said and done, the boss, it was a company vehicle, the boss of the young man that uh, actually hit them. Uh, thankfully, they're safe. Everyone's safe. But the boss came to check out the company vehicle. While they're all standing there waiting for the incident report, he asked them where they're coming from. They said, well, obviously church, you know, dressed up. He said, where do you go to church? And they said, we go to Santee Circle Church of God across the tail race. He said, well, we might come visit sometimes. It takes a car accident to get people to want to come to church. But, uh, you know, we'll take it any way we can. Thank God for insurance, but we'll take it any way we can. Uh, but um, so, uh, you know, invite somebody. They might have a good time. Brother Larry's already got group messages on his phone. He's inviting people left and right. So I like it, and uh, we're going to take up an offering, too, that day, just in case they never come back. I get one chance. That's just, I'm just kidding. Uh, I did, uh, went to a, a Christmas concert this afternoon that was free admission, but the conductor, when it was all said and done, he said, well, you know, we have to buy music, we have to pay for certain things. He said, so it's free to come. He said, but we got people standing at the back door, you got to pay to leave. I thought, that's a great way to do church. Everybody could come in. But I just leave the doors. I just have security details standing at the back door saying, can you just put a dollar in as a fee to get out the door? It would be a great way to take up tithes and offerings. Um, for those that don't pay yet, that would be awesome. So we'd be like, you pay to leave. Um, my only fear is they wouldn't come back again. So I don't know how I should feel. I don't know if that's a good idea or not. Uh, they only have four concerts a year. I, I need to preach more than four times a year to still stay employed. So uh, that would be a good day at the office. But please invite somebody to the Christmas party. Don't forget on our Sunday morning series we are talking about the characters of Christmas. This morning we talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth and their role in the Christmas story. Next week we'll have another character that we will be unfurling what their role was in the Christmas story. So it's going to be exciting. You're going to enjoy that. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, with that. Uh, But let me jump into the night's message. Uh, We are finishing up the very last part uh, of a sermon I started a few weeks back, but then with different things going on in the church, it kind of kept getting off-centered a little bit on Sunday night, but a sermon entitled, Doing What's Right Even When It's Wrong. Because uh, we live in a society right now where political correctness and uh, what's right 
is not being uh, being advertised. They want you to be politically correct, but they don't want you to be correct. It's all about that political word. And sometimes you have to know what to stand for even when the world stands for something else. you got to know what you stand for and what you believe. In fact, Peter says like this, always be ready to give an account or always be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you in Christ Jesus, which means anytime anybody asks, you better be able to give them an answer why you believe what you believe. And I'm telling you, if there's ever been a day that we need to know what we know, what we know, and what thus saith the word of the Lord. There's ever been a time you better know this book front to back. It's now because they're going to confuse you and tell you you're wrong. So you better know what to do uh, even when the world says it's wrong. So we're going to talk, finish that up tonight. If you'll stand with me, Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 10. I will read this quickly and we'll jump right into the crux of this message tonight don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screens to my right and my left as well. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, we'll talk about that in a minute, he went to his house and with his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he nailed down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God and did so aforetime. Then the men assembled themselves, they found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They came near and they spoke before the king concerning the new decree. Hast thou not decreed that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, say except you, O king, be cast into a den of lions? And the king said, That thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which you can alter if not. And then they said before the king, That Daniel, which is one of the children of Judah of captivity, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree which thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore, displeased within himself. He was saddened by this. He had set in his heart on Daniel to deliver him. He had tried to, he wanted to figure out a way to get out of this, this loophole. He was looking for a loophole. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then the men assembled unto the king and said, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is, that no decree or statute which the king established may be changed. What they said is, we've already got the lawyers vetted this word, this verbiage. There isn't a loophole in this, king. You've got to follow through or you would be in breach of the law. So then the king commanded they bring Daniel and cast him into a den of lions. And now the king spoke and said unto them, to Daniel, Notice he doesn't ask Daniel a question. He states this. This is not a question. This is a statement. If you look in your Bible, there was not a question mark at the end of this. There is a period. This is a declarative statement. In English, when you made a declarative statement, it is just a statement of facts or truth. He doesn't say, well, Daniel, maybe your God will take care of this. No, no. This king who's not even of Jewish descent says, thy God, Daniel, whom you serve continually, it doesn't say he might deliver you get back to it. I'm sorry. There it is. He, it doesn't say he might get to you. It doesn't say he might save you. It doesn't say he might consider. He said, God, that you serve Daniel, he will deliver you. That's a statement of facts. Then a stone was brought, laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the signet of the Lord's, that the purpose may not be changed concerning Daniel doing right even when it's wrong father for the next few moments i pray under the spirit of the lord and the direction of your holy spirit you would help me to preach the word that you had given me today for the people of god touch these lips of clay 
let them be touched by a coal from the altars of heaven to declare what thus saith the word of the Lord. Open eyes, hearts, and ears for this message tonight. In Christ's name we pray and ask all these things. And the people of God together said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. A few weeks back we started a journey in Daniel chapter 1. And I began to unfurl this passage of scripture to you by stating a few sentences to set up the crux of the message or the series, doing what's right even when it's wrong. I told you when I started this series a while back that the devil is all about picking off the body of Christ. I told you the very first account in this story, I talked to you about a story where Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were deported out of the besieging of Jerusalem and sent as basically illegal immigrants and human trafficking to another country, a different country of ethnicity. And the king wanted the best of the best, and he wanted the people he could brainwash and can get them to uh, come to a realization that his food was better and his way was better. And he wanted to brainwash them, and he wanted to get, the Bible says that he wanted them to learn the ways and the literature of the Chaldeans, meaning what he wanted to do, King Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted to brainwash them to get rid of all the God, the Judeo-Christian values, the Hebrew, the instillment of God's uh, message. He wanted to get that out of them so that he could put his agenda into them. And I told you during that particular night that that's what the devil's been trying to do for the last two years. He's tried to get the church of the living God to live in such fear and such quarantining in such a place that the cares and lives of this world would separate the church from everybody else so that the, he could start wreaking havoc and try to get the people of God to even question what thus saith the word of God. And I said to you that he started out attacking them all at once. I told you that the enemy uh, uh, changed their names from Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with the intended purpose of trying to disassociate their identity from God, their faith, their heritage of faith, and to a worldly, secular, humanistic view. That's what the devil is all about. The devil wants to give us a name, but the Bible says when we get saved, there's a new name that's written down in glory, and it's ours. And so no matter how much the devil tries to tell us God's not real, and tell us God cannot deliver, and tell us God is not able, the Bible says God says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which my mind can think or comprehend according to the riches in Christ Jesus. Every time the devil tells me God's not able, the Bible says, for I know the plans for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you and to give you a hope in the future. When the devil says this is impossible, the Bible says what seems impossible with man is become possible with God. When the devil says there's no way God can help you, the Bible says God said for I uh, says that I can do all things through Christ which gives me strength. The Bible says that the devil even tried that approach with Jesus in the book of Matthew he said Jesus as he tempted him in the desert he said why don't you turn these stones into bread and Jesus said not with his own words he used what thus saith the word of the Lord the best way to combat the wiles of the enemy the best way to combat the government the best way to combat the ways of this world is to know what thus saith the almighty word of the Lord it is time for people to get off of Facebook put their face back in a book when the government says do one thing we have to say but God has declared and God has decreed we know Psalms 91 says that God will deliver us from the pestilence that means the global pandemics that he'll be a shield for us he'll be a buckler for us he'll be a hedge of protection around us it doesn't matter what the enemy says there is something in God's word to combat the things of this world 
The Bible says that he tells Jesus, turn the stones into bread. Jesus said, it is written in the word of the Lord, man shall not live by bread alone. The Bible says Satan takes him up to a high place, a pinnacle along the sides of a coastside and, and up on the mountain. And he said, Jesus, why don't you jump from this place? And we know the Bible says that, you know, the angels will come and, and do all these things. And Jesus said, it is written, you should never put the Lord your God to a, 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 a feeble-minded test. Or you should never tempt or test the Lord your God. Finally, the devil takes him from this temple uh, and he takes him out. Excuse me, the first one was the temple. Then he takes him out to the, to the, to the mountainside. And he says, why don't you jump? The angels will catch you. And Jesus said, it is written, for the Lord your God, you do not test the Lord your God. He said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written that you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. And he rebuked him and sent him away. The best thing we can do when our jobs say one thing, when our world says one thing, when the government says one thing, even when other churches may say one thing that is trying to pad numbers and statistics rather than use the almighty word of God, the best thing we can ever do. When, when, when in doubt, we look it up. We shout it out. We look to what thus saith the word of the Lord. I can promise you this word has never left, uh, led anybody astray. This word has never let somebody die and go to hell. But the Bible said wide is the way to destruction, but narrow is the way to life. It is time for the church of the living God to get back into the word of the Lord and say no matter what goes on I'm going to stand on what God said in his word Jesus rebukes the devil I told you in that same week that when the devil tried to change their identity and their name Daniel and them are put to a to a test of food eat the king's meats and delicacies I told you that Daniel made a petition. He didn't have to ask his friends. He already knew the caliber of people he hung out with. I want to remind us that there is something to be said. People can know what kind of person you are often by the, by the way and by the people you hang and associate yourself with. You can say on Sunday morning that you're a Christian all you want to, but if Monday through Friday you don't hang out with like-minded people, people are going to be getting to question what kind of God you've got inside of you. A lot of times you can just look at someone's checkbook, what they spend the most money on, and who they hang out with the most and find out what kind of caliber of a person they are no matter what they say. With their lips, their actions sometimes are different than what their lips may say. He is put to a test of food. He said, give us ten days and let us eat and fruits and vegetables and basically not have that. The Bible says after they came back, they looked better and more healthier and their skin was brighter and they looked better than the men and the other slaves and eunuchs that were eating the king's delicacies. And the head eunuch of the king's uh, uh, treasuries of food literally stopped giving them. He just kept giving them what they asked for from that point forward because they were looking healthier and better. But then I told you that the devil, when he can't get us to fall apart together. See, we're stronger together than we are apart. That's why it, the Bible always talks about, about unification and being united and being a coalition together because when we're united, we're a tougher army to fight against with the devil. The devil doesn't want to fight an army because he knows he's already been in heaven. He knows how this works. He knows God's going to win this thing. That's why he's fighting so hard. But but when we're, we're stronger together, when we're unified together, we're better. But the enemy figured out, well, I can't get Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah together. I'm going to have to try to pick them apart. So then he comes up with the plan of the golden 
image or the, the big image in honor of the king and bowing down. We don't know where Daniel was during this particular time, but we know that the king found out three people weren't bowing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know where Daniel was, but we know where those three were, and they were given a chance to come in, and the king basically said, I handpicked y'all. Y'all are my prized possession. Don't make me look like a fool. I won't make you go back out there and do it, but if you'll do it in the privacy of my courtroom, I won't say anything. We'll let this slide. We'll act like nothing's going on. Because what the king didn't understand is integrity is not what you let the world see. It's what you do when no one's looking behind your closed doors. Integrity is not about doing what's right when everybody's looking at you. Integrity is about doing what's right whether anybody notices it or not. Integrity is about doing what's right even if somebody says it's wrong. Integrity is about maintaining your morals and your absolutes and standing on the precepts and principles of God's word whether or not anybody sees it behind closed doors, whether or not anybody ever notices it. It's about doing what's right because it's right, period. And they said, we're not doing it. We're not bowing. And he finally turns the heat seven times hotter. And you know the story. They come out and the, they, the, the men throwing the men dies. But they come out without any singeing of hair or clothing. They survive. Well, when the, that didn't work. See, the devil's tried that approach before. Well, you know, he tried that too with COVID. Because the first thing they did when COVID hit, well, they shut everything down. Remember? Everything shut down. Then they started slowly letting things come back up. And you go to Walmart and go places like that. They'd click you in. and You know, only so many with your face mask and all that stuff, which, I, you know, that's fine for safety purposes. But you notice they never wanted the church to go back to a meeting. Well, you can only meet in groups of 10. Oh, you can only meet in groups of 10 that are vaccinated. The 11th person... Whether they're vaccinated or not, they're now contaminated. I don't know how that works, but if 10 people can be in a room and not have to wear a mask if they're vaccinated, 11 people walk into a room that are vaccinated, then we've got to put a mask back on. That's a dangerous person. Who do you pick as the dangerous scapegoat that day? I don't know. 25 or less. 50 or less. Then it got to, well, you don't even need to meet together with your family for holidays. You don't need to do this. And, you don't, and I, if you remember, I preached a whole series back in the month of September about God and October about God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. We cannot live our lives in fear because that's where the devil wants us to operate a life. I didn't say be stupid. I don't, don't walk out here and say, oh, Pastor, you said just throw caution away. No, I didn't say be an idiot and be stupid. But I also said I'm not going to let the devil control my life and let me live in fear because I know what God's word has already promised. And the Bible said to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. So whether it's COVID, whether it's a heart attack, whether it's a car accident, or whether I just go to sleep tonight and don't wake up, I'm a better, better, I'm better either way. Because when I leave this body, you can do whatever you want to with my office. You can do whatever you want to behind this pulpit. You can take my name off the sign and spray paint it and put something else in there. Because I'm going to be in heaven and none of this will matter anymore. Because when I leave this life, I don't have to worry about COVID. I don't have to worry about the government. I don't have to worry about taxes. I don't have to worry about a job. Because I'm going to a city that's not made by human hands. I'm going to a place where Jesus... Jesus Christ himself will look at me and say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. I'm going to trade a house on 377 Decatur Drive to a mansion that I couldn't afford with any amount of money in this world. I'm going to not drive on asphalt, but I'm going to walk on streets of gold. I'm not going to pass by white picket fence. I'm going past jasper walls and gates of pearl. I'm going to a place there's no amount of money that can buy on this side of heaven. At the end of the day, we tried to be quarantined. In fact, some states, even so far, 
said you couldn't even sing in church. Some states were mandating you couldn't even sing Amazing Grace together in church. Now you could talk to each other at Walmart. You could go to Cracker Barrel and don't even know if the guy in the back's wearing gloves or not cooking your steak. But how dare you open your mouth and sing Amazing Grace? Because it wasn't about that anymore. Now it was an attack on God's people. It was an attack on the church. Listen, I'm not saying COVID was not real. And I'm not saying other things were not real. But I'm telling you, they, the devil used that to try to cripple the people of God too. It's time for the people of God to rise up and realize the Bible said that some people would be teachers and prophets and evangelists. But the Bible, when it started giving out, there's gifts of wisdom, gifts of compassion. But one nobody likes to preach about a lot is God also said there's a gift of discernment. And we miss that in the church sometimes. I think one of the one of the gifts, do I still think the church operates in the gift of compassion? Absolutely. We tried to do it with our owl ministry, shut-in ministry. People, when they pass away, feed their family. We tried to do the gifts of compassion and kindness. But I think one particular ministry that has been missing within the church of the living God is there's not enough men and women that have the gift of discernment anymore. Listen, can I just tell you, can I just go here and just take for about 30 seconds and go on my little camp meeting rant, you know, where you know how camp meeting preachers are. They come in, they burn a bushfire, and they fly out on their jet the next day, and they don't have nothing to do. The next guy has to clean it up the next night at camp meeting. And so I won't be that guy tonight. I want to just say that not everything that shouts is God. Come on, somebody. Not everything that runs the aisles is birthed by the Spirit. Not everything that speaks in tongues is a God-given tongue. I've seen many a times that there's more emotionalism going on than there is at a frat house. There is at the amusement park. I've seen people, listen, when you can go to church and the man or woman of God, well, says there the man or woman of God stands up and says, why don't everybody just stand up right now and speaking in your prayer language? God's not some kind of flip switch that you can decide when and you want to turn him on and when you want to turn him off. God doesn't need a man to speak or woman to speak on his behalf. God doesn't need your permission when he can speak or when he not. I know the Bible says the spirit is subject to the prophet, but the prophet first now to recognize the spirit before the spirit is subject to the prophet there are sometimes we have gotten so good at perfecting church we know how to sing the right song to get you to cry we know how to sing the right song to get you to jump we know how to sing the right song to get you to dance i've been in some church services or whatever you want to call them more like frat parties but you call them what you want to i've been in some churches they'll say why don't everybody just start jumping together then they'll say everybody start spinning together and then they'll say how about everybody just dance before the lord i never found in scripture where david said now all y'all dance with me but I do find in scripture when the spirit of the Lord got on David David knew how to dance I don't have to go to a club to learn how to dance but I'm telling you there's something to be said when the spirit of God moves on your life your feet will get to shuffling your hands will get to moving and there's no rhythm you got to understand because when God's in it there's no doubt about it that it's God I've been to places where I've seen them sing a song to go listen to response I've seen preachers get up Everybody stand all over the house and just begin speaking in your prayer language right now. Now, I'm not here to say that people can't pray in tongues or have that ability to do so. But I also am very cautious when people say that because I don't think God's a switch like a microphone. You turn him on when you need him and you turn him off when you don't. That's not how he operates. And I remember when we started having this stuff going on in the world. The enemy tried to get us to polarize each other. I started seeing division within the body of Christ. I told you one Sunday, I stand by this statement. You'd see people, if you're wearing a mask, you don't have faith. If you don't wear a mask, 
You're inconsiderate. You're not showing the love of Christ to the rest of those in need. If you, if you got a vaccine, you're living in fear. God's not the author of confusion and fear. But then I also heard other people, if you didn't get the vaccine, they'd start saying things like, you don't care about anybody, you're just selfish, and that's not God either. I come by to remind somebody, the Bible said God is not the author of the confusion. And the fact that the church started debating whether or not this person saved, that person saved, they're a Christian, they're not a Christian, over whether they wear a mask or they wear a shot. I don't care if you wear a mask. I don't care if you wear a shot. I don't care if you take a shot while you're in church and wear a mask while you're in church. I don't care if you take a shot for insulin. I don't I don't care if you take a water pill. I don't care if you wear a bandana over your face. But I do care where your heart is. And the fact of the matter that we debate this stuff, we argue about this stuff, tells me that's not of God. That is a divisive spirit that's been created and generated by the enemy. Whether or not I shouldn't have to walk in church and be like, are you vaccinated? Are you wearing a mask for safety protocol? Whether I'm wearing a mask or whether I'm not, I should be able to walk in church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night and a Wednesday night and grab my brother and sister by the hand or metaphorically speaking, stand beside them and worship the almighty living God whether or not I know anything else because God's still in control. And then all of a sudden when that didn't work with Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah the enemy went a step further. He went to Daniel this time where we read tonight. He couldn't get Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah or Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He tried but the fire didn't consume them. So the enemy, can I tell you tonight, the enemy doesn't give up. He keeps coming. He don't quit. He just comes in a different door. I probably shouldn't say it, but I'll go ahead and say it because you'll have three days to think about it before you'll come back to church. And some of you, it'll be a week before I see you, so you'll cool down by then. So I'll say it anyway. Sometimes, you know, I, I know when I say that the enemy comes in a different door, he doesn't quit. The sad reality is that sometimes the enemy comes in the front door of the church and nobody discerned he walked in the building. You'll think about that on the way home. Some of y'all probably think, oh, Lord, I hope that preacher wasn't talking about me. I'm not. If you feel that way, then that's guilty. You should confess. I didn't come for call anybody out. I'm just telling you, there are times people don't even recognize in church the enemy walked in and sowed tares among the wheat. The Bible said the enemy would sow tares among the weeds. And that's why God said you can't just hurry up and pluck everything up. You'll tear good grain. You've got to be discerning. You've got to let it grow up together. That's what discipleship's all about. Somebody comes in here that's never been in church all their lives. You can't just walk in the first Sunday, take your Jimmy Swagger, King James size family Bible, beat them slap over the head and break, break their brains and jar their brains out of their head and think they're going to come back next Sunday. Sometimes you've got to love them to the cross. Then you've got to teach them about the cross. Then you've got to help them understand the importance of the cross so they'll Start living by the cross's standards. But see, what happens is sometimes the enemy walks in the front door, but then sometimes he comes in the side door or the back door. See, you, some of y'all know the enemy of the back door. I'm not talking about the physical back door. The enemy of the back door is like this. He doesn't come where he can you see him head on. The enemy of the back door is this guy. On Sunday morning, the enemy of the back door is, Hey, Brother Erzberger, how you doing? God bless you, buddy. Hey, Sister Alma, it's so good to see you. They smile on my face. But Brother James, by Monday, the enemy of the back door is, Were you at church yesterday? Do you believe what Brother Randy said in Sunday school? Can you believe? You know, when Pastor gave the altar call, Sister Alma went up there and the Spirit of the Lord moved on her. Do you think that was real? 
You think that was emotional? You think that was the real spirit of the Lord? See, that's the enemy of the back door. Nobody saw it coming. On Sunday morning, I'm shaking her hand telling how wonderful she is. But on Monday, I'm trying to find out if she really had anything or not at church on Sunday. That's the enemy of the back door. Some people don't like this word, but it's called gossip. That's what that word is. It's in the Bible. You can look it up. The enemy of the back door doesn't always come and knock on the door and ring the doorbell. The Bible says, Jesus said, a thief comes in to kill, steal, and destroy. I've never met a thief that came and rang the doorbell and asked, hey, while you're here, can I go ahead and take your stuff out your house while you're here? Never met one. If you have, they would be on the world's dumbest criminals because that's the stupidest idea you could come up with. Now, I've watched some of those shows, World's Dumbest Criminal, and I think somebody had enough level of idiocy to think this was a good idea. I mean, literally, this doesn't make sense. But you don't, have any, you don't have people get robbed. They don't say, well, the guy came by my house and he asked while I was sitting here, could he go ahead and take my stuff out? And I said, sure, and he just took it, and then I called the cops. You never hear that story. That's how the devil works in church, though. He comes in the back door. He don't let his real intent be known. You know how I know this? Because this story. Let me paint you a picture really quick tonight before we leave. See, I only read you a portion of that story. The story starts back way earlier than where I read this in Daniel chapter 6. Because there was some men, Brother James, that got jealous of Daniel. The Bible says Daniel was a good man, a righteous man. Daniel and his friends got elevated even under Nebuchadnezzar and Belteshazzar's reign. They got elevated. And when Belteshazzar was overtaken by Darius of the Medes and the Persians and King Darius came to power, he had an affinity towards Daniel. He recognized this man's a good man. He's a man I can trust. Daniel actually got elevated to actually be over a lot of people in the territory as a leader. And some of the Medes and the Persians and Chaldeans didn't like that there was a illegal immigrant. There was a man of a different color skin. And there was a man of a different ethnicity. And a man of a different walk of life. Don't come into our church and tell us how we're going to do things. Come on, somebody. I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear my heart. But the day the church of the living God can't go to church with every tribe, nation, color, creed, and tongue is the day I'm not pastoring anymore. I'm telling you right now, if I don't care what ethnicity walks in this church. If they love God, they can stay. And if they don't know God yet, they can stay long enough to find Him. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the greatest disservice the church of the living God is, is to continue to promote the idea of racism. The church of the living God should be showing love instead of spinning this thing off as we're still a racist nation. I struggle. I hear it already on the news outlets and the pundits all the time. But that really bothers me when I hear church people talk about they can't worship together. How, pray tell, do they think they're going to heaven? You think there's a white heaven and a Chinese heaven and African-American heaven and a Hispanic heaven? you obviously mistaken because the Bible said every tribe and tongue will cry out together, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We all going to have to figure it out over there so we might as well practice down here. Come on, somebody. They didn't like that somebody different from them had rose up among the ranks. They got jealous. See, jealousy bites back hard. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. They were jealous of Daniel. So they conjured up this plan. If we cannot figure out a way to get him to lose his job, we'll try to get rid of him as the man. Just this week. Well, for some, I'll, let me back up. For some of you in this building, you and I have sat together, wrote religious exemptions to try to keep a job. 
that the world said, we're going to take from you unless you do what we tell you. Now, you listen to this, Pastor Kevin. That's exactly what was happening in Daniel's day. They made a decree with the king. King, if anybody prays to anybody but you, if they don't follow what you say, king, what you mandate, king, come on, somebody, what you say we have to do, if they don't follow that, then there's going to be deadly repercussions on them. They'll go to a lion's den. Anybody feel like you've lived in a place, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but where mandates came out that they made you think you might have to starve your family because you'll lose everything you got. You'll lose your job. You'll lose your home. You'll lose your financial resources. You don't do what the king of this world right now says. We'll take everything from you. Come on, somebody. Y'all try to see what the light at the end of the tunnel I'm talking about here for a minute. They got this decree signed. Some of us in this building, we wrote mandates to try religious exemptions to try to salvage jobs. Some of them got approved. Some of us still are employed. For a fact, this happened this week. She contested this. This is God's honest truth. Two weeks ago, my mother was given an ultimatum. You get it or you're fired. Like that. Over 35 years in healthcare system. It's been directors of hospitals and respiratory care and other things. Get it or you lose it all. She didn't feel at peace about it still at that moment for whatever reason. Just didn't have a peace about it. She prayed about it. She fat. She just didn't feel at peace. She told my dad, said, I don't know what we're going to do. It is what it is. I don't know. I don't have peace about it yet. I'm not saying that people that got it, I'm not judged. I just don't have a peace right now. I just don't know. For those that don't know, my mother has some health concerns that something like that would majorly flare it up and could really have life-altering effects on her for the rest of her life. She has what is known as chronic fatigue syndrome. That could cripple her for the rest of her life. She wouldn't do it. She told her boss. Her boss said, well, we don't want to lose you. And they went through the rigmarole. She said, I'll tell you what. We'll give you a computer to take home. And you can work on from home starting in December 1st. Well, it would be December the, the 6th or whatever. Tomorrow would have been the first day. You take this computer home, and you can do that through January 4th because that was the date they were saying everything had to be done. After that, we'll have to reevaluate, but we're probably going to have to let you go then. That'll at least give you a month to try to at least... Do that, and then maybe you could cobra the rest of the way a little bit to get back on your feet. And while my mom was appreciative, she said, that's fine, thank you, but she still wasn't backing down. She prayed about it. We didn't know what the outcome would be. She knows this is the God's honest truth. This week, the, my, now tomorrow's supposed to be start, you stay at home. So yesterday, my mother, well, not yesterday, I guess it was Thursday or Friday, she walks in to her boss's office to get her take-home laptop. But on Wednesday night, of all nights, well, Wednesday night, my mom's in church, things like that, but corporate sent out an email of that particular hospital. The CEO of that hospital, after further reflection, decided that while things are still in litigations and things up there are up in the higher courts of the land, he's not sure that right now would be the wisest time, so he halted everything in terms of mandate at the hospital, and until further notice, everybody keeps their job, stays status quo, and nothing will be changed until further notice. And you don't tell me God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. So when she went to get her computer, her boss pretty much a nice one said, why would I pay you to sit at home? You still have an office. I'll see you Monday morning. So tomorrow, my mom will go back into her office at work that she should be working from home from. Why? Because you have to still do what's right, even if other people tell you you're doing the wrong thing. Daniel has told, you got to do this. But Daniel said, no, no, I've been praying to God a whole lot longer than this mandate's been into effect. I'm not doing this. 
Daniel heard that the mandate was you pray. The men conjured up. They went to the king. He signed it, not thinking about it. Well, that sounds like a great idea. Pride goes before destruction. Oh, yeah, everybody will be praying to me and talking to me. That's great. Signs it off. Because what the devil wants, the devil doesn't want you to think of the long-term ramifications of your decision. He only wants you to think of the here and now of your decision. See, that's what's going on in the world today. The world we live in today is all about instantaneous gratification. They don't want to tell you what happens later down the road. I'm not talking about vaccines anymore, masks. No, no, I'm talking about just life in general. The devil will make sin look good for a season, the Bible says. There's pleasures in sin for a season. But there's long-term effects, though, from sin if you don't change from sin. Daniel, here's the decree. Now, Brother James, Daniel has a choice to make, just like we all should hear today. Daniel has a decision. I can follow through with what the world says I'm supposed to do, or I can do what I know in my heart that God spoke to me is right, even when the world says I'm wrong. I have a choice to make. I can be a man of integrity. I've already seen my friends be thrown into a fiery furnace. They come out. I've already seen God provide the food and, and, and make us look better and stronger and healthier than the king's me. I've seen us be deported, but God's elevated us in a foreign land. I, I can either stand out or I can comply with what the world says I must do. My integrity is on the line. I have to choice to make. It's my integrity that's on the line. You know what he does? He didn't bat an eye. He didn't walk into the king's court, drop kick the door, go in there and start yelling and protesting. You know, I've served you faithfully, and I've done this, and I've taught a Sunday school class, and I've cleaned the church, and I've sang on the praise team. He didn't start demanding nothing. You know what he did? He walked, as soon as he got his little slip of paper, he did what only he knew to do. He went straight home. Now, what's interesting to me is this. You know, the Jews would pray multiple times in the day. That was their culture. But he included an important detail that most people overlook. Let me read to you this important detail. When Daniel heard about the signing, he went into his house to pray. Don't miss the next line. That's the crux of this story. He opened the windows so everybody knew he was praying. (laughs) It would do us some good sometimes to open up our windows and let people hear what we're saying to God in the prayer closet. Hello, preacher. Sometimes it would be good for your children to hear you praying in the bedroom while they're outside watching TV. Sometimes it would be good for your grandchildren while they're sitting with you at the dinner table to hear you bless the food. Sometimes it would be good for your grandchildren while they're outside playing in the yard hearing you praying and reading your Bible on the front porch. Sometimes it would be good for people to hear about the God you serve. He opens up the windows. We say it all the time, a coin phrase, that God will open up the windows of heaven and he will pour out a blessing that we can scarcely have room in our mortal bodies to contain. Daniel already understood that principle. He went home. He didn't lock the doors, Brother Larry, and hide out. He didn't get a little jacket and cover his face and get down in a fetal position and try to act like nobody could see him in the house and just be like, oh, Lord, Lord, I I don't want to get in trouble. Lord, I I don't know what I'm going to do now. Lord, I hope they don't see me under here. I hope I can be a camouflaged Christian. I hope they don't find me under here. No, no. Oh, no, no, no. See, that's what we do. Come on, somebody. I'm going to preach this thing if it's the last thing I do today. See, we, we, we operate like that. Oh, I, I don't want them to know I'm a Christian. Maybe if I go to church, maybe if I sit back here, maybe they won't pan the camera over here and let people know I'm a part of them holy roller churches. Come on, somebody. 
Maybe the camera will only stay on the preacher. Maybe I can hide over here so when I go in the office on Monday, when the Holy Spirit moved on Sunday night and the Spirit of the Lord was poured out, I don't want the boss man to walk into the office and have me to have to try to explain what happened at church. Maybe they won't pan the camera to that side of the church. See, what we do is we like to live, we like to live in seclusion. We want people to know. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. If, you. if you're ashamed of what you are, you need to find something that you're not ashamed of and go find that because if you're ashamed of it, you ain't no help to us. Be proud of it. Wear it like a badge of honor. I don't care. People know I'm Church of God. They'll ask me, I'll say I'm Church of God. They'll say, oh, which one? I'll say Cleveland, Tennessee. They'll say, oh, see one of them Pentecostal people. Yes, I am. You want to know more about that? Let's talk. They sometimes skip y'all handle snakes. Absolutely not. That is of the devil. I tell them straight up. I said, look, I'm saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, and I'm not stupid. I'm not picking that up. When I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I also got some intelligence. That's a dumb idea. I'm not one of those people. The only time in the Bible you ever found out picking up a snake was a good idea is when God said you throw the staff down, you pick it up. The rest of the time you never say God, say, hey, grab that and see how that feels. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. Unless God says pick it up, you, you, I was shooting it. That's dead. The only good snake is a somebody's preaching with the preacher tonight. Come on, somebody. I don't care. Oh, it's a garden snake. It's a black racer. It eats rats. Uh, it will kill me because I'll run myself right through a fence and I'll probably get a concussion. It's a dead one. That's a good one. I'll be freaked out. I'll be having dreams about it. I'll be cold, waking up with cold sweats. Don't you play with that. I've seen uh, Brianna's little nephew the other week found had a, a rubber one, but it looks so real. And I got out the car. He come running over there and I had that thing. I about knocked that five-year-old kid right across the yard. I was like, well, you don't know me. You about, you about, you about met Jesus quicker than you expected. Don't you come in. I didn't know it was fate, y'all. I wasn't ready for that. My heart wasn't ready for that. I'm still going to PTSD counseling for that day. The point to be made is Daniel didn't hide from who he was. He wasn't ashamed. The Bible said he went home. He threw up the windows. See, Daniel understood something. There's a promise God always gives us. See, I talked to you a couple weeks ago about the problems and the provisions and the purpose and the plan. But if you go back to Daniel chapter 1, verse 14 and through 16, Daniel gave the, the word, God will take care of us, and they came back fairer and healthier with the vegetables and, the, and eating of the water, or drinking of the water and eating of the vegetables. But as I preached to you this morning about the joy of a promise, God doesn't say something and then back out of it. He confirms what he says. Daniel goes to his bedroom or chamber, and instead of locking the doors and hiding, he, Brother James, pushes open the shutters. He still gets down on his knees in reverence before the Lord. But I do not believe one iota. Now, you, when you preach next Sunday night and you volunteer, you can come tell the story any way you want to. I could care less. But until you sign up, we're going to preach my version tonight. I don't believe he got down here and said, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord. I sold a key. Lord, if I should die, please don't let me die. Before I wake, I pray the Lord. No, no. Because Daniel had already been with God enough, he wasn't worried about what happened on the lion's den. He wasn't scared because he knew if God be for me, who's going to be against me? I believe Daniel got on his knees before God and man. He didn't care if they heard it. He was like, oh, Lord, thou God. I don't know how he started, but he might have said something. God, you're Jehovah Jireh. You're the provider of my soul. God, you've been a healer. 
You've been a way maker in the middle of nowhere. You've made a way where there seemed to be no way. You are a wheel in the middle. You're like Ezekiel. You're a wheel, Lord, in the middle of a wheel. George, you're like Jeremiah. You are like a fire that's been shut up in my bones, and I scarcely have room enough to contain it. Lord, you've been a deliverer. You have been a redeemer from the foundations of time. When Mama Eve and Daddy Adam messed this all up, you made a blood sacrifice to get them safely out of harm's way. God, you're a way maker and a wave walker. God, you parted the waters for Father Moses to walk right on the bed of the Red Sea on dry ground. God, you're a deliverer. You had us in captivity in Pharaoh's bondage, but Lord, you sent an angel to come by, the Passover angel, and to help us pass right by and get on to the other side. Lord, even when we crossed it, you provided for us in the middle of the desert. You sent quail in the evening and bread in the morning. You you brought fire in the night to make sure we stayed warm and a cloud in the day to protect us from the scorching heat of the sun. Lord, even when we got to the point that some of them disobeyed you, you still found 20 people, you still found people 20 years and younger that believed in you and they crossed over Jordan's swelling tide and they walked into a land called Canaan. They marched around a wall and had breakthrough and they watched walls fall down and they captured city after city. God, you were with Father Abraham. You led him to a land. You brought him out of a land of Earl of the Chaldeans. And God, you brought him to a land where he didn't know anything about, but he trusted in you. And Father Abraham and Father Isaac and Father Jacob, you were with them every step of the way. And God, when we started to come and form as a nation, you blessed us and you multiplied us. And even when we shifted our stands, you sent judges to keep us on track. And then you gave us kings. But Lord, finally you rose up a king by the name of David who had a heart of worship and Lord you promised us that you would forever set upon your heart upon the throne of David someone that would be forever establishing your royal kingdom and God I'm here today I don't know how you're going to do it I don't know when you're going to do it and I really don't care where you're going to do it but I'm not afraid what goes on outside of the four walls of this house I'm not afraid what the government said I'm not afraid what the enemy said I'm not afraid of what everybody's scheming up against me, but I know if I hold on to your unchanging and unfaltering hand, that no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, God, you'll see me through it. Ms. Carol, as you make your way, here's what happens. Daniel had lived a life of such integrity that even the king knew the caliber of a man this man was, because the Bible said as soon as he found out what they had done, his heart sank in his chest. He knew it was a trick. But he couldn't do nothing about it because in that day, once it was sealed with the king's ring, it could not be undone. And notice what he says. He doesn't say, oh, Daniel, I sure hope all those times you prayed, God heard you, buddy. Oh, I sure hope that all those times you prayed, oh, I hope God is, I hope God's going to help you. No, no, no. He said, Daniel, the God that you serve, he's got you. He'll deliver you. He's got you. Now, I don't know if he was just saying that, convincing himself or not, because I know later the Bible says he stayed up all night pacing the floor praying. On the... See, even, even people that are not saved people or that people that we would classify as, you know, been saved all their lives, they know the real stuff. They know when the real Spirit of God, even sinners can recognize when God walks in a room. Hello. Even the secular king is walking the floor saying, God, that's a good man. 
God, you are a deliverer. I've heard Daniel pray. I've heard him pray over the meals. I've heard him pray at his house before. God, I trust that man. I've, I've had him pray over my sick child. I've had him pray over my marriage. I've had him pray over my family. That's a good man. God, if there's ever been a good man that all night long, you can't even get people to pray five minutes less, less all night. Come on. You go for a prayer meeting, five people show up, and they pray for three minutes, and then they're busy and got to go home. This man stayed up all night praying, y'all. He said, God will deliver you, but he was afraid. Because even though he was telling himself that, there was still a part of him knowing we have been starving lions for days because that's how we condition them to be able to attack somebody. We have starved them so that the first sign of any morsel of food, they will rip it to shreds. Part of him knew there's no way, Brother Randy, scientifically speaking, there's no way Daniel could survive this. He knew that. He knew what he said, God will deliver you. But Sister Bill, there was just a little bit of doubt in him going, but it's almost impossible. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. The next morning at daybreak, that man don't even wait till the sun gets up. He ain't even waited for the rooster to crow. At daybreak, he's already dressed, ready, and out the door headed to the spot of the den. He tells him to remove the stone, and he asks a question. Oh, Daniel, has the God you served, was he able to deliver as he said? I'm sure as he said that, in that moment, there was just a little bit of him, Sister Patricia, that didn't expect to hear any sound come back out of that tomb, out of that den. Just a small sliver said, there's no way. It can't happen. But he asked the question anyway, oh, Daniel. God that you serve, was he able to deliver you? Now, I don't know if it was one second, three seconds, five seconds, but I'm sure to that king it felt like eternity. But Brother James, in the hollowness of a deep, dark den, all the way down to the bottom, where there was no light that he could see, out of the abyss, out of the darkness, as I said to you this morning, there was 400 years of silence, but even in the darkness, even in dark days, God's always up to something. While the world was sleeping away at night, This is what happened. While it's all dark, while it looks hopeless, while it looks bleak, while everybody's afraid, while everybody's sleeping, while the king is worried, God in the dark is still doing something. And after that, what seemed like eternity, there was a faint voice that yelled out the bottom. Oh, king, live forever for the God that I served. Last night, he sent an angel by my way. Remember I told you this morning, God sent Gabriel on assignment to Mary and to Zechariah and Elizabeth. An angel came down last night, God, and he shut these lions' mouth. In fact, King, I've never slept so good in my life. These raging cats and ferocious beings came and laid down like docile kittens. They laid all around me. I laid my head on the back of one of their, laid my head on one of their backs. I had two laying beside me like armrests. I was in a cocoon. I was able to pet them. They just laid right beside me and purred like a docile kitten. God did save me. The king immediately said, get him out of there. I'm probably thinking, oh, don't let the lions change their mind. Don't let, them, don't let the lions come off their fast too early. Let's get them on up out of here. Gets Daniel out. The Bible says the king said to the men, that he said, y'all are wicked men. Y'all knew what you were doing. Because even when we do what's right, even when it's wrong, there will come a day God will take care of the enemy. We won't have to 
God will handle it for us. He will. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. God will handle it from there. And the Bible says, here's what he does. He says, I want you to go get all their family too. Because if they're that wicked, that means they've instilled that same wickedness in all their generation. And I need to get rid of the entire generation of this. This is a plague. This is a pandemic. This is something that will cripple us. we got to get rid of all the sin out in the camp now. Remember what Joshua did to Achan? Take him, his family, everybody. Get rid of the whole sin out the camp. I won't say this, but what if God did that today? <laughs> what if we came next Sunday and he started picking off families and said, that whole family's got to, we're going to take them out. They're, they're the contamination of the church. We'd probably start freaking out, coming to church. We wouldn't want to called out. Here's how you know God was in it. The Bible said as soon as they pushed those men and their families into that den of lions, before they ever hit the bottom floor, the lions had literally tore them to shreds, limb from limb. There was nothing to be recognized before they even hit dirt. That's how quickly they were devoured. Because the Bible says the enemy comes in like a roaring lion. It does not say he is a lion. It says he acts like a roaring lion. But the Bible does say Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. See, the enemy will roar and make you think he's the big bad wolf and huff and puff and blow your house down. But he's not the lion from the tribe of Judah. And God's only going to let things get so far before he intervenes and says, Hold up, wait a minute, I'll take it from here. And the king does this. He says, Be it marked onto the calendar and into the law of the Medes. Let it be entered in today into the law of the Medes and the Persians. There is no God. Like the God of Daniel. That's the God of this kingdom. Can I tell you that's what's going to change our world? It's when the church just keeps being the church to the point God steps in and tells the enemy, now that's enough, that's all you're going to get. And God fights our battles and we just stand there and watch the lion from the tribe of Judah do his thing. And when it's all said and done, the world will have to recognize and bow down and say, He is God. Here's my challenge to you today. And then we're going to pray. Integrity is not what we see in public. It's what you do when no one's looking. The things you do in secret, the Bible says, the Lord will reveal openly. One day it'll come to light. But here's my challenge to you today. As hard as it may be to do, make a conscious effort, a mindset decision, to do right even if everybody else says you're wrong you make a decision that I'm going to follow what thus saith the word of the Lord I'm going to do right by God no matter what that costs me around me I'm going to do what's right even if the world says I'm wrong because I'm going to tell you right now to stand for Jesus is the best decision you'll ever make it may not seem like it sometimes but I guarantee you God will never fail you. He'll never let you down. He'll never steer you wrong. The best decision you'll ever make is to stay with him and let him just do what only he can do. That's the best decision you'll ever make. As you stand all over the house with your head bowed and your eyes closed, don't forget all of the many things that we brought to your attention today about Christmas parties for kids and the church and services next weekend. But I want to pray a special prayer over you today. Before we leave this place, the Lord would bless you and help every one of you, starting from the pulpit all the way to the very back door, to walk in a way that we would do what's right 
Even if it brings challenges and turmoil, we'll do what's right, even if the world says we're wrong. Father, to the very best of my ability, I have preached today as much as I possibly can with all energies that I've got. Your word. Father, I have tried to do my best to convey what thus saith the word of the Lord. God, sometimes doing what's right when the world says we're wrong is a tough uphill battle. But you're still God, and we have to trust you. Help us to not be deterred, discouraged, or dismayed, or disheartened. Help us to stay true and focused to everything that we do. Father, today I pray that you would bless the body of Christ. You would bless us and keep us, and your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance upon us and give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. And I pray that the words of the, our mouths, not just mine, but our mouths and meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. We go to work, school, jobs, whatever we may face this week. Let us maintain a level of integrity. We do what's right, even if no one else is looking. We do what's right because it's right, not for credit, not for accolades. Doing what's right because it's right. Strengthen this body of believers and bring us back safely at the next appointed time together. In Christ's name we pray. And before we're dismissed, I'm going to ask Brother Randy Erksberger to pray a prayer of blessing and benediction over each and every one of you. I love you, those watching online. God bless you. We hope to see you Wednesday night for Bible study at 7 online or in-house or next Sunday, 10 a.m. for Sunday school, 11 a.m. for worship. And also don't forget the two Christmas parties coming up this week. Brother Erchberger, will you pray today?